This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Hear stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing home health industry. Welcome to the Home Health Revealed podcast. I am your host, Mike Greenlee, and I have my co-host with me, Hannah Vale. Hannah, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Hey, you know, we got a great speaker today. I know. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I say that every time, but I am really excited again today. You know, this guy dresses nicer than George Clooney. Really? It's a true statement. I've Man. seen him. He's sharp. I mean, very sharp. It's a good thing. I mean, you can't see on a podcast, but I can visualize. Yeah, that's a good call. So today we're going to talk about diversifying service lines. And today's podcast is brought to you by Health Rev Partners. Grow your agency and expand your mission with High Powered Revenue Cycle Partner. Inspiring possibilities to touch more lives. All right. Love it. Now, did you know that 40 to 60% of rebates are never claimed? I believe that. That's a big number. Are you a rebate person? I have only ever gotten one rebate, taken advantage of one rebate. Um, and that was Lowe's for a bunch of paint that I bought. So no, I'm not usually a rebate person. They print out on the receipt and I think I have good intentions. And then I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's worth my time. So Menards, right? They, they advertise that you get 11% off everything. Okay. It's not really true. Why? Well, cause you don't. So you go in thinking you get 11% off everything. Yeah. But you pay full price. However, they have a little asterisk next to 11, 11% off everything. And you only get store credit. Oh, the 11% is only a store credit? Store credit. So last time I did a rebate, Yikes. you send it in, you get a check in the mail, right? Yeah. Nah, not there in Menards. You get store credit. So you think about that. It's kind of genius. Sounds like you have some beef with Menards. No, no, no. I love Menards. You okay. ever been to Menards? Uh, No, actually. It's like a warehouse dream. Okay. If you can build stuff, which I can't, but I got to go get supplies for people that can. Okay. But anyway, it, it, I think it's a marketing genius because you think you're getting 11% off, but you don't, but yet somehow they're, a, they're able to advertise that. Yep. And then they still get the money anyways, because it's store credit. Anyway, everybody should go love to Menards. That. Menards is still a good place. I know the jingle. My kids love the jingle. But Let's hear it. No, you do it. I don't know it. You don't know. Save more money at Menards. Okay, yeah. Okay. You're welcome. We're going to edit that. All right. Sure. Take it out. All right. So who we got today? Today we have Rich Burner. And Rich serves as a board member and chief executive officer for Complia Health, which is a leading provider of EMR solutions, technology, and services for pre- and post-acute care agencies. As CEO, he guides his company's direction to help their clients improve the quality of life and healthcare experience of the populations they manage while fulfilling the company's purpose of connecting administrators, caregivers, consumers, and their families on the consumer's terms. I like that. Uh, with over 25 years across business-to-business -business and business-to-consumer industries in established and emerging markets, Rich previously served as CEO of MD Live, president for Allscripts International, and acute division including Allscripts Sunrise EMR, and in various leadership roles with Caradigm, a Microsoft GE joint venture, Cerner Corporation, Free Drive, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, among other things. Rich graduated as an Evans Scholar from the University of Illinois with a Bachelor of Science in Teaching of Computer Science. 
Well, Rich, welcome to Home Health Rebuild. Good afternoon, Michael. Good afternoon, Hannah. I got to say with a face made for podcasts, uh, this is probably the only venue where it's appropriate to compare me to George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're a little fighting a lion eye, huh? Fighting a lion eye. Uh, tough to be uh, uh, a proud fighting Illini sometimes with our, uh, our our lack of ability to keep the Chicago talent in Illinois, but uh, proud to wear the school colors uh, in the fall and even more so during the NCAA tournament. Well, you have an impressive bio. So here's a tough question for you. With all your years of experience and knowledge, would you agree with me that the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in America? Well, we could agree that they're uh, this year ranked at least 10 spots higher than my Chicago Bears, but that's not saying much considering I think we're ranked 31st or 32nd in most polls. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope they both do better than projected this year. Uh, that much I can say. Now, Rich, how did you get into the post-acute world? Well, it's um, <clears throat> it's interesting. I, I spent the first decade of my uh career outside of healthcare, and so, you know, sad to say that it's nearly two decades ago now that I got into healthcare coming from the dot-com world and wanting to make it better for consumers, only to quickly realize that healthcare was about 30 years behind other industries, other industries and its use of technology to automate and optimize, and over the, probably the first decade plus of my career, made a lot of progress making healthcare better, at least as far as helping drive outcomes for consumers by uh, rolling out EMRs and population health management systems across a number of the places we talked about, but then had the opportunity to run a telehealth company. I saw telehealth as the first real opportunity to, um, you know, do what's been done in every other industry, move it online, automate as much as possible, put it on consumers' terms, and made a lot of great progress in the primary care uh, and the urgent care and behavioral health sectors, but really started to think about, um, you know, that the real opportunity uh, and the next phase of disruption in healthcare was going to be in the home, particularly with the baby boomer uh, generation getting older. Um, you know, they want, you know, they're used to convenience and getting services on their terms, and they want healthcare in the home. The government's realizing that, um, you know, with the cost savings and outcomes are better with healthcare in the home. So when the Comply Health opportunity came up, I saw it as the perfect beachhead to get into the post-acute space uh, in that. Uh, that it was a company with a great set of clients focused on delivering um, world-class consumer and um, patient uh, and clinician experiences. Uh, and it was someplace that it, it was a, a team of uh, individuals that not only knew the current post-acute space deeply, but a lot of innovative thinkers looking to disrupt the post-acute space as this change is upon us. And I saw a lot of the skills that I've bought from inside and outside of healthcare. I could help to, you know, uh, take the company and our client base to, you know, the next phase of uh, healthcare uh, outside the hospital and hopefully keeping people outside the hospital, getting, you know, care the way they want it, when they want it. Yeah. So what are some of the exciting things you guys are doing over there? Uh, well, we are focused on one, you know, every one of our clients are struggling with um, uh, recruiting and retention. And so our philosophy is if we can automate the simple and routine as much as possible for, you know, not only the, uh, the administrators, but most importantly, the aides, the clinicians, the care team members, 
so that they could do what they love, which is spending time with their patients, with their family members, uh, that they're going to want to stick with or join our clients' agencies because they hear about how, how much better the job is there, how much easier it is, because the technology is more like they're used to, uh, you know, when they're shopping online or, or ordering an Uber or Lyft or whatever it might be. You know, one example of that is our um, our chatbot, Emma, who's uh, your electronic medical management assistant that automates, you know, for example, a, if somebody has a canceled uh, shift, um, rather than today where it's been very manual, you know, two or three people making 30 or 40 phone calls, we've automated that whole process using Emma as a chatbot to connect the, you know, caregiver in the field um, or the caregiver team with the administrators to within minutes get canceled shifts filled. Um, we're also uh, trying to figure out services that are very difficult and tough to learn just within those agencies. And if, if we can outsource them for our clients um, where, you know, it's not necessarily core to their strategy, but core to helping them grow profitably, uh, you know, looking for opportunities where they can outsource services like revenue cycle management uh, as we're doing together. We're very excited about that. So how did you come up with the name Emma? Electronic medical, blah, 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 blah. it made sense. He said there, it. There, it was. there you go. <laughs> what, what, you go. what were the two M's? Your, your electronic medical management assistant. Yes. Oh, Emma, I liked that. And I got big ears. I should have heard that. <laughs> yeah, and well, she well, it's really just to, um, to put a little personality into what will be you know our smart aging platform which is really about, as you know, you said up front, we're about connecting administrators, caregivers, consumers, and their families on the consumers and their families' terms. So Emma will be 24-7 monitoring the personal health record, looking for, you know, where are opportunities where she can engage in a proactive mean to prevent somebody from having an incident, and then engage on the consumer's terms if they want to, you know, resolve a situation in an automated fashion. Uh, if not, if, if they need to talk to the care team member, she'll intelligently route to the right level care team member, whether that's an aide or a nurse or doctor or therapist. And then she'll look for opportunities to, uh, you know, visits can be done remote, doing remote, but if they need to be in person, get somebody out there as quick as possible. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but you are a dynamic speaker. And I, <laughs> I have all the compliments come from you guys today. I'm going to, I'm going to join this podcast more often. <laughs> well, I don't know if I've heard that. <laughs> well, there's an asterisk on our, uh, website that says that I get a dollar for every time I compliment a speaker. Did you see the, it's, it's gonna, there. This is going to be an expensive podcast. <laughs> that, that's it. That's it. Get your wallet out. But I, I did have the opportunity uh, just a few months back to listen to you uh, talk to all the agency leaders at the uh, financial management conference. And you were talking about diversifying service lines, which I find is a fascinating topic. How did you come to terms with this is the topic I want to talk about? Well, um, it you know it goes back to why I got into the post-acute space. I believe the next phase of disruption is going to happen outside the hospital. And frankly, with everything that we started with the High Tech Act and the acute care setting and the doctor office setting, we'd be further along if we'd started at the home. And I think everybody has finally come to realize that. But to succeed in um, the future, uh, you know, agencies are going to have to think more along the lines of population health management than reactive fee-for-service care. 
Uh, and so you, to, to succeed, agencies are going to have to be able to uh, own a broader portion of continuum of care and ideally own as much as possible outside uh, the hospital. And, you know, with all the M&A that's going on, I know it's top of mind for most CTOs I talk to about how they're going to diversify or what can they do, particularly if they're in an individual service line today and they feel reimbursement strengthening and they know if they don't act, they're going to get commoditized right out of business. And I thought it would be a, uh, you know, something uh, given that it's top of mind for many people and given the experience I've had and given some of the things we're doing at Comply Health, I thought it would be a helpful topic. Uh, for people at the conference. So something that you said uh, in the conference is the future of home health care is golden. You mentioned that in your presentation. Some statistics you gave, uh, demand for health care services at home is growing at 8% annually, which that actually seems kind of low uh, to me just from some of the other conversations that I've had. 87% of seniors want to stay in their own home as they age. Medicare Advantage enrollment is rising dramatically. We had 19 million in 2017. Uh, 30 million plus is estimated by 2024, which is really just around the corner. And then by 2030, one in five adults in the U.S. will be over 65. That won't be me, but we've got a definite aging population. And then we're just seeing a lot of movement with, as you've already mentioned, mergers and acquisitions. Everybody's minds seem to kind of be churning and, and looking at some of those things. So, Rich, if I owned an agency today, knowing the future of home health care, what type of growth strategies should I consider? Um, well, let me start off by you know, first of all, the most important thing, if you're thinking about expanding or growing um, or potentially some inorganic growth, the biggest thing you can do is make sure you're growing as fast as you can, as profitably can with the service line that you're doing today. You don't want to overlook that step because it just becomes easier to scale, you know, by getting better at what you're doing. So with, with that as a recognition that, you know, the solution to solving growth with what you have today isn't necessarily do something different, but it just gets easier if you get better at what you're doing. Um, once you recognize that, it goes to the point of if, if I want to control a broader portion of the continuum of care, uh, then that puts me in a better position to figure out um, potentially how to drive more margin by driving better outcomes and experiences as you know, different service lines can have higher margin, but even better, as I control broader portions of continuum of care, it puts me in a better position to take on risk or partner with payers as the number of MCOs and, and MA plans uh, begin to grow. Uh, and as such, if you're gonna do that, you know, the, the space that is closest to what you're doing if you're in home health with uh, skilled nursing, getting into you know, home care and personal care services are two easy jumps, hospice, is becoming a more and more critical um, part of the service. Many hospice agencies are looking to, you know, own, or, you know, get involved with uh, consumers earlier in their journey, um, you know, wanting to own the last 10 years of life. So that, you know, the core three services are a great place to start getting all three of those. Um, but also we see a lot of people wanting to get in the hospital home space. That is growing very rapidly. And the 
the reimbursements for those services are much higher than the traditional uh, skilled nursing fees and um, the skill set needed to do that isn't much different. And then if you want to control everything outside of the hospital, we see a lot of people starting to look at and get into uh, home-based primary care. Um, that, you know, if you're in that space, now you control the front end of care, all the routing that we talk about. Uh, so those are some of the service lines that we see our clients looking at and that we recommend they look at. And then as far as how you do that, you know, there's really three ways you could do that. One, it's organic growth within your existing service lines or launch these new service lines. Um, that probably is, uh, in the long run, potentially some of the most, uh, one of the more valuable ways to do it, but also one of the most time consuming. It takes a long time to do that. So we see a lot of people that, you know, know, recognize they can't own everything. So they uh, start joint ventures or partnerships, um, joint ventures with hospitals and the hospital home space is getting a lot of attention and growing. And then obviously, um, uh, inorganic growth through acquisitions is the way you're going to achieve your vision quickest. Um, but again, you want to make sure you have that foundation of a, um, you know, fast, profitably growing agency at the core will set you up for success as you think about some of that M&A uh, and acquiring other service lines uh, to add on to what you're doing. And lastly, I'd say, you know, as you're thinking about this, um, today a lot of people think of technology as a pillar of their strategy instead of thinking of technology underscoring all of their strategy and taking a tech-first mindset you you have to be thinking about different about how you leverage technology if you truly want to be one of the leaders in the future so with that in mind then what at the same time that i'm putting together some growth strategies should i be considering technology strategies as well yeah what we're what i would suggest is when you you just like you want to come up with a strategy uh you know a business strategy overall start with um a tech first mindset of you know anything that can be automated should be automated so as you add service lines don't think about just all the business processes but rather than bringing these service lines together how do i automate and then anything that can be done remote you if you can um, any visits you can do remote you're going to be able to manage it you know regionally or nationally and when you can do that you can manage the outcomes the experience and the quality uh, and the cost much better than you can with in person and then um, as particularly if you're going to do M&A or partnerships, got to make sure the technology is interoperable. And then as much as possible, having a single platform for everything you do or a single partner is going to simplify your uh, technology experience and costs going forward. So how important in my strategies, both my growth strategies and my technology strategies, at, at what level and where am I thinking about my customers and my patients and how does that affect them? Well, I think um, across healthcare, uh, but also, you know, in the post-acute space, a lot of people say the patient's at the center of, um, you know, all of their decisions. Uh, but I think a lot of that's just lip service. And it's really the, you know, maybe the care team member and what they want doing something that's best for them, or maybe the agency and what they, what, what they want. And I think it's rapidly going to change. Think about um, you know, Hannah, I said, you know, you said you're not going to be one of the one in five. I think maybe Michael and I will be just short of being the one in five, but it is the, the uh, Gen Xers, which I'm part of. I know as my parents get older and I deal with agencies that our expectations of how we interact with these agencies are going to be significantly different than 
the, you know, our parents and how they wanted to interact with these agencies. And if you don't have a uh, consumer first mindset and be thinking about how I deliver care on consumers terms, as consumers get more control uh, and then technology enables them to get more involved in the decision process, uh, if you're not thinking consumer first, while you might have gotten away with that for the last decade or two, uh, in the next decade, that's going to differentiate the winners and the losers. Who's thinking consumer first? You know, in 2023, we have some massive changes coming. We have value-based purchasing, and then we have the OACC coming out. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting a growth plan and a strategy plan in place, does it make sense to consider an RCM partner? You know, I am a bit biased since we have that service together, but I'd say absolutely. But it's it's just there's going to be so much change coming at agencies. And, you know, what the things that are going to differentiate you and how you grow are, you know, you want to own those. You want to do that yourself. Um, and, you know, revenue cycle management is, you know, core to making sure you're getting uh, as few denials as possible, getting paid as quickly as possible, um, and, and collecting, at, you know, as much as possible. But that is, you know, not necessarily going to differentiate, you know, who who and how you win in the future. Um, and, you know, in addition for agencies, your experience doing revenue cycle management is limited to just your agency. And if you can outsource something um, that somebody has hundreds of agencies or thousands of agencies as they that they work with um you know to me revenue cycle management is the ideal uh, uh service uh, to outsource or partner with somebody on. so again i'm an agency and at some point i want to retire or with the market the way it is another agency might be looking to acquire me right now what is in your opinion, the number one criteria that agency buyers are seeking? It's, it's pretty simple because it's not just about uh, agencies. It's anyone looking to buy a business. They're going to be most interested in the businesses that are getting, you know, double-digit organic growth on their own. Um, so, you know, back to what we talked about when we think about overall strategy and diversifying service lines, it starts with you're going to drive the most value in your agency by making sure that you are getting as much profitable organic growth as you can, and um, you're bringing along uh, a unique set of intellectual property, how you're leveraging technology to do that. Anything that you do on top of that only, you know, then gets multiples of that value that you start with. Okay. Yeah, I you're right. I love this conversation and your insight has really been spot on. So thank you so much for your time. Especially the RCM comment. I mean, I thought that was brilliant. Yes. Another asterisk. Yeah. uh, Comment there. For sure. Uh, Put that in his, (laughs) put that on his tally. Um, But if a listener is interested in learning more about Complia Health or more about what we've talked about today, how can they get in touch with someone from your company? Uh, obviously, going to compliahealth.com is the best place to learn more, and there's plenty of uh, places to get uh, contact information for myself or any of my colleagues or uh, to reach out. And then anyone going to uh, 
NOC in October uh, or any of the other national events, we are typically at those events and always look forward. And, and in particular this year, um, fingers crossed, happy that we're actually be able to be in person and see people face to face again. Yeah, that's been nice. You're even doing an education session, right? At NOC? I am, I am. Yeah. At NOC in St. Louis next month. So uh, would love to invite any of your listeners to uh, to uh, join that discussion. And, you know, anybody who's interested in connecting me with on there, you can reach out. Again, my name is Rich Murner. You can reach me at rburner at complyhealth.com uh, or message me on LinkedIn. I'd uh, uh, love the opportunity to meet some of your listeners in person. You know, Rich, uh, hopefully won't uh, disappoint with your comments that uh, dress like uh, Clooney. That might have been a bit of an overstatement. So, well, yeah, now so the pressure is on. Where it needs to be. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, it's time to get a new jacket, man. You got to, <laughs> you know, you know, one thing that I do uh, really admire about you in the, in the time that we've got to meet personally and up in Chicago and then, of course, in, in Vegas together is you've always been one that wants to be visible to not only your customers, but also to your clients. And I've noticed you have taken that same um, position or your, your team has taken that same position as well, how accessible you guys are to your clients and your prospects. So I just want to commend you on that. I think that's fantastic. Well, I appreciate that and appreciate you recognize that. And it's good that that's coming out because that's the culture we're trying to set, that we really are a client-driven organization. Uh, as brilliant as we think we are sometimes, um, most of our learning comes from really listening to our clients, what problems they're trying to solve, and then bringing them solutions or working collaboratively on solutions of how we solve those problems. It's, it's funny, even though I come at this as a technologist, you know, growing up geek programming and graduating computer science, I spend the vast majority of my time with my team and clients to get them to stop talking about technology and let's focus on the problems you're trying to solve. And then, uh, you know, if we're listening to our clients, we'll have the right product roadmap and we'll have the best product in the industry. Well, I look forward to seeing you in St. Louis. I look forward to seeing you as well. And enjoyed I, the discussion uh, this, uh, this afternoon. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking time out. And, and Hannah and I will also be in St. Louis at Knock, and we're going to be doing our podcast live. Yeah. So uh, we'll be set up somewhere. Uh, we'll let you know where, but um, we'll be at booth number 341. 341. Yep, at Knock. We'll actually have a lot of our team there, so we'd love to get to talk to you, meet you. Yeah, and I look more like Matthew McConaughey, wouldn't you? In person? <laughs> yeah. And dress well, like him? I'll definitely plan on uh, coming by to say hello to your uh, listeners if they haven't shunned me after today's uh, podcast. Uh, and uh, in the interim, let's, uh, let's just say go Bears. Okay, we'll say that. Well, until next time, stay healthy and make sure you love your neighbors. Thanks for listening. Take care.